0: Have you ever intended to tell someone something, but then a different person overhears what you were telling to that person, and they take it personally, but you didn't mean to say that to them? Uh, Sometimes it happens with animals. Suppose you're yelling at the cat, because that's one thing cats are good for, right? But the dog overhears the screaming, and the dog slinks away with his tail between his legs, and you didn't mean to scream at the dog. It happens with people. Maybe you're in an office and someone's talking about another team member that really is maybe misplaced, skill sets need to be deployed elsewhere, and the conversation's going on. But another team member walks by who's serving magnificently right where they are, and they're discouraged now and think that they're going to be transferred. You ever intend to say something to someone, but someone else overhears it, and they begin to think that you were talking to them when you weren't? Well, I kind of think that that's what John must have been thinking when he gets to the middle of chapter two. If you remember, Carlos told us last week that John has been saying some pretty hard things to some of the readers. He's called them liars. He said they walk in darkness. He said they are deceived and they're deceiving. But then he's thinking, Oh, but there are some other faithful followers. There's some other people that are on the right track. I don't want to be misunderstood. That's why he writes the section that we're gonna look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, your iPad, you can turn to John chapter 2. I'm gonna read verses 12 through 17, and you're gonna discover these verses are about love. One of the main themes of 1 John, by the way. In fact, you can kind of count through. John uses the word love over 50 times in this short little letter. We're gonna look this morning at two kinds of love the love God gives and the love God hates. And it's all in these verses, so here we go. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father lives forever." Now, since we're going to be talking about love, kind of a the love God gives and the love God hates, we better define love as we get started. You ever notice we use the word love in a lot of different ways, and some of them seem almost incompatible. I love pizza, particularly with pineapples. Don't moan, I like pineapple on my pizza. I love my wife. I love my job. Can you say that? I love my job. I love my kids. I love fall. I don't love fall, by the way. I'm saying that because some of you may love fall. We love lots of different things. We try to love the Phillies and the Eagles and the Sixers, but they make it so darn hard, right? Now, underneath it all, what does the word love mean? Well, love means two things. Here's what love means: a desire and a commitment. Not just a desire. There's desire followed up with commitment. You need both of those things. So for example, I love Starbucks. I desire it, right? And regularly I have to kind of get in the car and drive there to get one. In the morning I have to get out of bed and put it in the little Keurig thing and make it. I desire it, I'm committed to it, and sometimes I go out of my way to get it because desire and commitment come together which means we use our time and resource for the things we love. Desire and commitment result in spending time and resource on those things we love. So it doesn't matter if it's pizza or a spouse or kids or a Philly sports team or a cheesesteak or ice cream. There's a desire, there's commitment, and if you're loving it, you're going to spend time and money getting it and enjoying it. That's how it works. You need to keep that thought in mind because John, this whole epistle, in a sense, is about love. The Bible's about love. This epistle's about love. And this section is about love. But you have to keep that definition tucked away in your mind in order to have the passage make sense. Well, we're going to start by taking a little exam. Right, We're in a series and you've got homework, right? Five by five. So I hate to do this, but how many of you have read through First John at least one time? Raise your hand. Wow, I'm impressed. Not that impressed. I'm impressed. How many of you have memorized any of the five verses yet? Anybody? Okay, good. Very good. That's great. We still have a few more weeks, right? So you can get on the homework. Well, as long as we're doing homework and we're, you know, the word disciple actually means student. So since we're kind of disciples and we're students, we're going to take an exam. And I can tell you, I guarantee you this, this morning will be a lot more meaningful, a lot more helpful, a lot more insightful. If rather than just thinking concepts and maybe even writing a few notes on your, on your piece of paper in your Bible or on the phone, if you would actually put yourself into the things that we're talking about. So we're going to go through an exam in a couple of minutes, and I'm going to ask you not just to answer the questions theoretically or to wrestle theoretically, I'm going to ask you to wrestle honestly and personally. When you talk about love, the love God gives, I'll give you the summary right up front. The love God gives is not rooted in us. The love God gives results is received by us. Does that make sense? And so every one of the problems is usually a reversal of that. The love God gives is not rooted in us. God doesn't love us because we deserve it, we did something to earn it. God's love comes to us and we receive the love he gives, we don't earn the love he gives. That's a really important concept that's contrary to most of life, but that's what the Bible teaches. Well, with that in mind, here's some faulty foundations. Some faulty foundations that I've heard literally dozens of times in my life. In fact, I've seen exams like this numerous places. I kind of tweaked them a little bit for our purposes this morning. Here are, see that screen? Faulty foundations. These are not the right foundation. This is not not the love God gives and not how we receive it. Here's the first one. Your religious background or church involvement causes God's love to just be showered upon you and causes you to be a Christ follower and a Christian. No, 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 your religious background, your Christian heritage, your church involvement is a faulty foundation on which to build assurance, on which to build your faith or to somehow live with confidence. Faulty foundation. Second faulty foundation, Moral or ethical lifestyle. Yeah, I'll I'll say this as uh, candidly as I can. There are lots of really moral and ethical Mormons. Moral and ethical Jehovah Witnesses. Moral and ethical atheists. There may even be some Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, atheists, more moral and ethical than we are. But God does not give his love because someone is moral or ethical. God's love is not sourced in us, it's not rooted in us, it's received by us. I sure hope you're not counting on your morality or your ethics to somehow earn favor with God or to show that you are a Christ follower. Third faulty foundation, biblical or theological knowledge. Um, I'll be honest with you, you may be able to beat your friends, meet everybody in your small group, meet everybody in your ABF, meet everybody you know in Bible trivia games. You can stump them with theological definitions and hard theological words. Um, you ever notice the Bible experts in Jesus' day were the Pharisees. They knew the scripture in and out. They had tucked together and strung together all the, theolo- the- theological ideas. Jesus is in their face more than any other group of people in the New Testament. And yet they're like the theological biblical experts. So if you somehow think that God God gives you love because all the Bible you know, because you're doing your homework, because you read 1 John five times or memorized five verses. No, no, no. You don't earn God's love by acquiring lots of biblical theological knowledge. That's not how it works. Fourth one, ministry or service. Charles, you don't understand. I've been participating in church activities. I've been volunteering. I've served on boards. I've taught this. I led that. I've been doing that since before you were born. You must be really old. I've been doing it for years and years. Yeah, that counts for nothing. Earning acceptance or forgiveness with God. It's not ministry or service. That's not how it works. God does not give love because we jump through the hoops and we volunteer for stuff. Even participation, volunteering, leading, being involved at Calvary Church—that's not—that's a faulty foundation, not a true foundation. Well, I got one more in the quiz: a past decision. I got to be careful here. A past decision. I got to be careful because there are some of you in this room that can actually pinpoint the day, the date, the time when you actually became a Christian. And that's a really good thing. But I guess the caution is decisions in the past are never given as marks of somehow knowing or being assured of your relationship with Jesus today. In fact, it's not even praying a prayer. Now, let, let me show you how this works. You are not forgiven, accepted by God, because you've prayed a prayer. You are forgiven and accepted by God because you believe in Jesus, you have faith in who he is and what he's done. Now, prayer can be an expression of faith, just like the writer of Hebrews says, right? You wouldn't pray to a God who you didn't think existed and you wouldn't ask him things you didn't think he could do. So prayer is an expression of faith, but there are other ways to express faith as well. But you can pray prayers and not have faith. You can sing songs and side cars and walk aisles and not have faith. Faith is what transacts a relationship with God. It's not signing a card or walking an aisle or even praying a prayer. It's not trusting yourself or anything else. It's putting your faith and believing that who Jesus is and what he did covers your sin and now makes you accepted with God. That's what transacts the deal. That's why we, when someone's getting baptized... We never ask them, at some point in the past, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? By the way, you'll never find that question in the Bible either. What question do we ask them? Are you trusting, presently, are you trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins? And are you trusting Jesus alone for your acceptance with God? That is the biblical question. It's not what I did. There are lots of people that prayed prayers and checked cards. They would call themselves atheists today. Now, look, I don't know their heart, whether they're right with God or not, but I do know this. If they're denying Jesus and they're not following Jesus, there is no way for them to have assurance that they're in a relationship with God. It's not past decision. It's a present following that makes the difference. Are you trusting? Are you believing that Jesus Christ is the is the son of God and he's forgiven your sins. So there are faulty foundations. Um, before we move on, don't just look at the list. Don't just make a note. Do a little inventory. Are you trusting background church involvement? Are you trusting your morality? You live much better than your neighbors, right? You're more righteous than they are. And you think they're okay. Do you know lots of Bible knowledge? You're kind of counting on that for something. Ministry or service, you volunteer for stuff, you're on that religious do-gooding service treadmill. You made a past decision, maybe not much fruit today. Faulty foundations. Okay, well now let's talk about faithful foundations, right? Now remember, they're decisions that are full of faith, right? These are decisions, these are markers that are full of faith. These are the faithful ways we can know and these are the things that John expounds. In fact, these are the things in the first few verses I read. So here are the verses again. Notice he keeps talking about um I think there are verses here, right? Here we go. Notice he speaks of three different groups of people, right? So if you look there, I'm writing to you dear children, I'm writing to you fathers, I'm writing to you young. Then he repeats it again. I'm writing to I written I have written to you children, I have written to you fathers, I have written to you young men. And there's kind of a big debate here, right? How many different groups of people's John talking to? This is stuff like commentators and exegetes fight about, right? Well, you look at it and say, well, he's talking about three different groups, right? We got children, then we got fathers, and we've got young men. What happened to the women? Uh, well, they're not in the list. Is it one? Is there one big group of people? And John just uses different designations to kind of refer to them. Three different groups of people, or is it two groups of people? Um, believe it or not, I kind of think there are two groups of people, even though there are a group of three, and here's why. John uses the word children throughout the letter and everything he writes to refer to all Christians, right? And if you look at it, children are those that know the Father. Children are those that have been forgiven of their sin. That includes all Christians, right? So I kind of think children refers to everybody. But then he takes the everybody, all the Christian group, and he divides them into the more mature, those that have followed longer. They know the Father from the beginning. They've been following for a long time. And the younger group, those that are full of energy, full of strength, that's how he's dividing. Uh, I, I read a, a commentary this week that said, had a little, a little excerpt illustration about fathers. And uh, you may not be interested, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When Charles Spurgeon, one of the like, best preachers ever, when he was preaching as a very young man, he was preaching one Sunday evening, he looked out, and he noticed his aging grandfather was there. And so he's trying to, he's preaching on forgiveness that, right? Now he knew his grandfather had been a Christian forever, right? And he's really preaching up a storm, right? He's trying to impress his grandfather. So at the end, he asks his grandfather to come up and close the service in prayer, thinking he's going to get a big attaboy pat on his back from his pop His grandfather makes it to the stage, and he says, Charles can tell you about forgiveness, but I've lived forgiveness. Let's pray. That's the mature group, right? It isn't the group that has just read it and thought about ideas. It's the group that's implemented and lived it for a long period of time. Women in matter include. John's not being a sexist. Children refers to all Christians. The more mature, they need to remember, right? This deal goes on and on. They still have something to do. They're not on the bench. And those that are younger, yeah, live the way you need to be living and move in the right direction. He speaks to everybody. I kind of think it's two groups. If you think it's one or three, that's fine. Well, what are some of those faithful foundations then? And these are the tests that John gives. And again, since we're students in this series, right, you need to put yourself into the statements and see where you fit. Here's the first faithful foundation. Are you trusting, present tense, I'm glad you may have signed a card, prayed a prayer, and maybe it really did happen, and maybe you are saved from that point. That's wonderful. Are you trusting Jesus Christ and Jesus alone? Not your service, not your Bible memory, not not your do-gooding, none of that stuff. Are you trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for forgiveness and for eternal life? That's a faithful foundation. You can build on that one. Now you gotta remember, the whole first chapter in the beginning of the second chapter in John, in 1 John, he tells us about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So it isn't just, yeah, make up any Jesus you want, right? It's the Jesus he's been writing about in the letter. And who's the Jesus he's been writing about? Jesus is God in the flesh, chapter one, right? God incarnate. And he is our substitute that brings atonement. That's the Jesus. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe that he is your substitute? If you do, that's a faithful foundation. Are you trusting that today? Are you trusting him for your forgiveness and acceptance with God in eternal life? That's a faithful foundation. Here's the second one that grows right out of that one. Are you living out the gospel? I put the word of in there because I think that's important too. Are you living out of the gospel? Are you living out the gospel but not as some kind of do-gooding scheme, right? It's not doing good to get, it's doing good by grace. That's the big difference. Are you living out the gospel? That's what John says in this letter over and over and over again. Are you beginning to live the gospel? Are you living out of the gospel? That's a faithful foundation. And the third thing, hopefully you're getting to know these things by now. Are you loving one another? Are you loving one another? Are you growing your love for one another? I think I'm allowed to say this. I went to... uh, Barnabas lunch last month, and um, I was sitting next to uh, Jim Henning out back, we're just talking about different people, and somehow we got talking about golf, and we got talking about Coach Drew Dara. Some of you may may remember Drew. Drew's passed on. And Drew was kind of a typical old-school, semi-crotchety coach, right? Lots of criticism. Yeah, a really fun guy to be with, but... And Jim... Smiled and he said, you know what? He said, a lot of people would have looked at coach and they may not have thought he was a Christian, but he said, one day coach said to me, Jim, do you, uh, do you know how I know that I'm a Christian? Jim was getting nervous and he said, how coach? And he said, because I used to love nobody but Drew Dara. Now, I love everybody. That's exactly right. John would have loved, John would have applauded that answer, right? Faithful foundations, foundations that are full of faith. Are you trusting Jesus? Did Jesus describe by John? For the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Are you living out of the gospel? And are you loving one? That's a faithful foundation. That's how you know. Notice it's, In the present, it never ends. We need to get up and live out that assurance every day. Not to earn it, but by grace in light of it. That's the big difference. Well, we're not done yet. I'm going to take a couple minutes to talk about the love God hates. You know, the Bible talks a lot about God being loved, but do you know there's some love that God hates? Hate some stuff. In fact, you really can't love unless you hate some things. My guess is you parents know what that's like, right? If you love your kids, you hate those that are trying to take them down a the wrong path and ruin their lives, right? If you love something, you got to hate some things. Uh, here, here's how John says it. I think we had the, there we go. Do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Remember I told you John uses the word love in this letter over 50 times? This is the only little section where love is used negatively. All the other words are, all the other loves are real. Yeah, do this, love, love, love. Here it's negative. Now, We need a little bit of explanation so we know what's going on, right? When he says, do not love the world. Well, John uses the word world in a few different ways. You can read the gospel read and and you'll figure that out. One, John is not saying don't love the planet Earth. He's not saying hate trees and leaves and flowers and dirt. That's not what he's saying. So he's not using world to refer to the planet, right? He's also not saying Don't love the people in the world. He's not saying that either, right? Sometimes world is used by John for people, right? For God so loved the world, right? He he died for the people of the world, right? So he can love them, but we can't? No, it's not the people of the world. Well, what in the world is world that we're not supposed to love? It's the system, the values, the priorities of the world that are in rebellion against him. That's the world. In fact, he defines it. What are, what are the priorities? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. There they are. He tells us the elements of this world system, the loves and priorities, the values, the trust that we're not supposed to love. In fact, um, it kind of makes perfect sense, right? Let me, uh, some, some people refer to the three in this way. Lust of the flesh. What in the world is that? That refers to our appetites, right? The things that you believe would give you comfort, right? Whatever you're in, they're internal. Internal appetites, right? Appetite for food, appetite for sex, appetite for comfort. Those things inside of you, pulling you, right? They're lusts on the inside that drive. Then he talks about lust of the eyes. That's kind of the opposite, right? Lust of the flesh is inside, like a magnet or a vacuum pulling in. Lust of the eyes is stuff on the outside, things we see that are calling us to go get that stuff. So that would be things under the greed category, right? You now begin to become jealous. You become envious. You begin to become greedy, and you want the stuff out there that you don't have, which is really a way of saying, God, I could do a better job running this world in my life than you. Because you obviously haven't given me a lot of the stuff I need, or you're not providing the internal comfort that I need. You see, blessed are the flesh inside, blessed are the eyes on the outside. Well, what, what is the boastful pride of life? Well, they're all the affluenza things that we have, right? The things that we want to point to and say, we did this, right? We accomplished this. Our reputation, building our resume having people praise us, all of those things that build ourselves up. But here's the key, in a self-sufficient way. So notice, God is absolutely removed from all three of those. Lust of the flesh, God, I need all these things in order to live a fulfilled life, and you won't give them to me. I see all these things that I really want, and you won't give them to me. I want to be somebody myself rather than have you to live under. Yeah, those three things are life in rebellion against God. Now, God doesn't say you shouldn't love those things because he wants to make our lives miserable. Here's why he tells us. Because he loves us. In case you haven't realized, and these verses would point to this truth, Number one, the world cannot give you what you really need. Can it? Can it really give? No. Only Jesus can give you what you really need. You need to be forgiven of your sin. You need a reconciled relationship with your creator and king of the universe. Nothing in this world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, both of, the, of they can't give you what you need. Here's a weird second one. John tells us the world can't give you what it promises. Okay, so we, we've all done this, and we're among friends, right? Have you ever gone down the path of just kind of living to satisfy any lust of the flesh? You ever done that? Oh, so once you've done that, you're satisfied forever now, right? You never ever want, done uh, doesn't work that way. The world promises, right, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of, it promises that if you had this, if you could get this comfort, if you had that thing, if you had this person, then all of a sudden you'd be fulfilled. The world can't give what it promises. And the world can't give you a relationship with Jesus that gives us forgiveness and eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. Faulty foundations. You will run into people today and this week that are somehow trusting in one or more or other's other faulty foundations. How about you? Is your foundation built on faith in Jesus and is it faithful? And how about the love God hates? My guess is kind of like me, you color outside the lines, right? The world can't give you what you need world can't give you what it promises. Only Jesus can give you what you need. Only Jesus can give you what he promises. And that's all we need today and forever. Stand and pray. Father, we confess as we read through just this handful of verses that there are temptations that cause us to want to build our lives on one or more of those faulty foundations. We live in a world that Teaches performance is the way to get what you want. But the gospel says grace is the only way you get it. Lord, if there are some here today trusting in faulty things, Lord, would you remind them of the faithful foundation that Jesus is? And would you help them to transition their faith from a faulty foundation to the only faithful Savior? Lord, for those of us that have desires and appetites on the inside, that cause to run after things that will never give what they promise and just take us further from you, Lord, would you remind us of those and give us a hatred for those things? And Lord, for those that are captured by lust of the eyes and struggle with wanting things that are out there, or wanting to build our lives on things that we built or designed or our reputation, Lord, would you show us? Those are loves that you hate, but you wait with open arms for us to return and experience your faithful and eternal love. Lord, thanks for providing that through Jesus. Jesus, thanks for going on the mission, being our substitute, so that now all the promises from beginning to end of the Bible, are yes and amen in him. We pray in his name. Amen.